Welcome to Smith Weekly Discussions, an occasional program for our readers and listeners of Smith Weekly Research. Please note this program is a private discussion and everything contained herein is for entertainment and educational purposes only. With that, we hope you're in a comfortable position, along with your favorite beverage, to enjoy the discussion. We want to remind the audience to examine the show notes attached to each of our shows to understand how our program functions. Before we get into our chat today, we want to say thanks for questions coming from our audience at Smith Weekly, including Dave V, Jackie A, and Jack T. Carrie Lutz of the Financial Survival Network is our guest today. Carrie is the founder of the Financial Survival Network, a radio and podcast show which hosts a complete suite of guests surrounding the markets, finance, and economics. You can learn more about Carrie and his work by taking a look at financialsurvivalnetwork.com. Carrie, thanks for coming on. Hey, it's my pleasure, Andrew. I'm honored to be on the show with you and can't wait to get started. So, Carrie, let's start out by you telling the audience a bit about your background and why you decided to set up the Financial Survival Network. Yeah, sure thing. Well, I was a, uh, as I like to say, a recovering attorney and uh, practiced law for about 30 years. I was also a serial entrepreneur and you know, I was in a business I wasn't that fond of. It was highly profitable, like beyond all belief. I got in at exactly the right time. We were buying and selling charged off credit card debt. And then after the crash, I just realized the party's over. You know, the so-called consumer lawyers are going to be all over us. They're changing the laws to uh, to prevent us from being successful. So I sold out and then I kind of wandered around and I realized uh, I really love doing radio. I love media. And I was at a conference and a branding conference. And the person there said, uh, his question was, if money were no object, what would you be doing? And I said, geez, you know, I would be doing radio now. And, uh, you know, because, uh, because it's so easy to start a podcast. Now you don't have to worry about radio and, you know, getting a few hundred thousand downloads a month, I'm more popular than a lot of medium-sized radio stations are throughout the country. So that's how my journey kind of wound up here. Uh, very interesting. Well, talk us through your day uh, in terms of how, do the sh how does the show work and give us a flavor for how you go about your day-to-day -day work at Financial Survival Network. Yeah, well, it's a funny thing. Uh, my day starts out about 6.30 in the morning. I start reading various articles, checking out prices of markets overseas, checking to see what precious metals are going for, seeing if there's any major event of the day, or in this case, events that, uh, that are going to really have an influence on the market. And then uh, I kind of go to Starbucks and I talked to this group of guys. I'm the youngest one. They're all retired, semi-retired. And I see what uh, what it is that they're interested in and what uh, where the trends are heading for that day. And then I'll have, um, I have a producer, Melissa. She does all my bookings and does all my edits and posts. So, you know, I, I see what she's up to. And, um, and that's kind of how the day... And the day just proceeds. And then uh, if I get really psyched up, I'll do a commentary, what I call a triple Lutz report. And uh, and that's kind of how it works. 
Well, excellent. That sounds great. And it's good to have that kind of support team staff on the backside and then also people that are giving you ideas and, and kind of supporting that whole thesis for bringing the show about and finding those guests. So on the topic of guests, you've had a lot of different guests on your show frequently covering many topics and experiences. What have you seen as major common themes coming out from your guests, mm -hmm. say, in the last 12 months? Yeah, well, that's a hard one, um, you know, because the themes haven't really changed that much. I've been doing this for eight years now, full time. And during that time, it just hasn't changed. We've been on this unsustainable path and no politician, nobody seems to want to do anything about it. They all seem to be powerless. There's just nothing that anybody is able to do. And, um, and I think that eventually, it starts, uh, it gets worse over time. You know, we wondered how long it was going to take gold to go up. And uh, we got our answer. It finally has broken through. It was in a six-year sideways narrow channel. And now, uh, now guess what? We're, we're, seeing, we're seeing the fruits of, of our endeavors uh, for the past uh, eight years or 10 years since the, uh, since the financial collapse of 0809. It's kind of remarkable. For the folks listening, where do you see the major threats are specifically to folks' financial well-being today? Well, you know, I think um, inflation is coming back, higher prices uh, in the form of cons higher consumer prices. We've seen inflation in so much as asset prices going up, housing get reinflated, but now we're going to see it in the cost of everyday goods. And uh, this is going to be a shock to everyone. Eventually, it'll result in higher interest rates. And it's just a very precarious system. I don't know how, how it's really all going to shake out, but it's potentially not going to be good. Yes, I, I agree. Um, so I want to talk about natural resources, energy, and I want to come back to gold in a moment. But before we get to all that, We've got it more or less, uh, as of March, uh, a 10-year bull market, getting quite old, uh, looking at history here. How are you positioning for the next few years, and what areas of the financial spectrum are you most focused on? Well, I'm really focused and have been focused on gold, which has been a subpar performer for the past uh, eight years since it's peaked in 2011, but my basis is way below where uh, prices are currently at. So I've always had a profit in it. And um, I'm looking at resource sectors, commodities. You know, we've got a situation going on that very many people aren't even aware of. For instance, in China, they've lost half of the pig herd, half their pigs due to uh, African swine flu. And you know, this is going to have a dramatic effect. We had all these uh, delayed plantings in the Midwest. Uh, so, you know, we're going to see, I think we're going into another commodity cycle. And, you know, you can't just pick any commodity and hope for the best because it might not necessarily uh, be oil. But in all likelihood, if there's an inflationary cycle, oil is going to go up as well. Yeah, I agree. And there's certainly some oddities that are going on, whether it's a uh the planting season for corn in the Midwest, et cetera, physical delivery of sugar contracts in large volumes. Uh, there's certainly some some stuff that's going on that's worthy of note. And, and of course, uh, 
things like fertilizer and potash continue to look uh, attractive and, and there's certainly some mm -hmm. stuff going on there. So on that subject of natural resources, let's move over to the metals. What are you liking here and what ways are you expressing your viewpoint? Yeah, well, I like physical gold. I think it's just beginning to get started. Uh, I believe that silver is going to follow suit. Um, we are going to uh, to see major advances in silver. It traditionally lags gold uh, for up to three years at the beginning of a cycle. And, um, and select mining companies, uh, ones that, I mean, I think all mining companies will probably, you know, rising tide lifts all boats, that kind of thing. I think that for companies that are really well run, that have uh, really good prospects, uh, this will be one of those opportunities where you say, why didn't I do this? Why didn't I do it? You'll look back in years later, past, say, all these people told me that it was going to uh, be big, and I ignored them. And it's the reality of having missed out that that's really bad. Yeah, and I, I agree. And I think there's going to be, a, unfortunately, quite a herd that will be in that position yet again. Uh, which is going to be sad. Um, now, I want to ask you a little bit more there. Are there any companies for the equity side? Are there any companies or even any maybe even uh, gold gold uh, storage services or, or equities in the market for natural resource mining such as gold that you'd like to mention? Well, I got to disclose up front uh, some of these companies I own shares of. Some of them are sponsors of the show, but we have a very exacting criteria. We will not just take any sponsor uh, just because they're willing to pay us money. Uh, we only take on companies that really have good prospects. Uh, Orin Resources, you'll find them on the New York uh, American and the uh, TSX AUG symbol. Uh, this guy, Evan Bebek, is one of the most brilliant CEOs I have ever met in my uh, somewhat uh, lengthy existence here. Um, I think that uh, that is going to be a stock. They've got two major projects, one in Canada, one in Peru. If either of the projects hit, which they're highly, highly likely to, uh, it'll be an amazing stock if both of them hit forget it because there hasn't been a major gold find in many many years in a decade nearly so that's one another one a sponsor again uh own shares in it called trilogy metals uh they've got a project in alaska that's probably got more copper than just about any other project found in the world and it's it's multiple metals it's multi-metallic it's gold it's lead, it's zinc. They've got 77 million pounds of cobalt that they're sitting on. And it's in Alaska in a remote area, but there are mines around it. And they're waiting for a road to be permitted that the state of Alaska wants built very badly. And uh, it looks like the they're, they're greasing the skids to get this done because Alaska has a really bad economy. Uh, hasn't benefited from the so-called recovery of the lower 48. And the third one, I'll give you another sponsor. I own shares in it, U.S. Gold Corp, USAU. Two great projects. One, its uh, preliminary economic assessment has shown that it's worth close to $10 a share, and the stock is trading just over a buck. And they've got another 
project in Nevada, in the gold-rich region there, uh, Cortez Hill trend, where Barrick's biggest mine is pumping out, you know, major gold, million every million ounces every year. And this one, uh, their geo, Dave Mathewson, has found, he's been the most successful geo finding gold in Nevada of anybody of his generation. He thinks this is the best project he's ever seen. So all of these stocks can be had extremely cheaply. Uh, I will advise you that uh, since we got involved with Trilogy, uh, they've been making new highs. I think that stock is around. It's TMQ, by the way. Um, it's really, it's, it's making new highs every day. New 52-week high today. Great company. And um, those are just three, but there's so many more. But you can't be in every stock in every market. Some of them uh, have got publicly traded warrants that are just going to go exponential here, Andrew. So I see a lot of potential here in a lot of different ways. So I know we, I'm familiar, Smith Weekly Research is familiar with two that you mentioned, uh, Trilogy and, and uh, U.S. Gold Corp. Uh, U.S. Gold mm -hmm. Corp. is in one of our portfolios in Venture Investor. Um, certainly, and Trilogy has done extremely well from the bottoms of uh, 2015 onward. The, you're sitting on great uh, gains there in that stock. Um, so, yeah, I think it'll be very interesting. And is there a producer that comes to mind that you like? Um, there's some near-term producers coming up that probably are worth taking a look at. Northern Vertex, they're about to go in the black. Um, look, you know, there's been a run-up in Newmont and in Barrick recently, but probably the majors are probably going to go higher. First Majestic for silver. You know, if silver really hits, if silver doubles, which it could well do, and I'm not predicting when, I'm not saying it's going to, just saying if it should, which if the if what we're saying about the metals rally is right, then uh, it, it probably will. You know, a stock like uh, First Majestic could really just skyrocket, but look, stocks are not my area of expertise. Companies are, but I don't uh, pretend. There are a lot of other people, probably you especially, do this a lot better than I do. But I know winners when I see them, and there's an awful lot of winners in the sector because it's been so beat down. You know, the uh, TSX Venture closed last month, 585, which is just so beaten down that there's value there. So you need to look at people like you, Jay Taylor, and, uh, and others who really know this sector inside out and place your bets carefully but place a number of them, I think we're going to see returns that far eclipse what happened during 2011. I want to talk about gold and Bitcoin. Now, Kerry, what is your position on those two instruments? <laughs> well, you know, like I said, gold, I think it's confirmed it. You know, it's definitely confirmed the rally. We broke through uh, the resistance point anywhere from 1350 to 1383 which was gold traded in this narrow sideways channel for six years. It's just gone to six-year highs, all right? It's got way more to go. I'm pretty confident of that. Uh, I don't want to say for sure because, look, the real world, so I, think, uh, I think this is the case, but I've been wrong many, many times. So I'm not claiming to know this for a fact. But there's so many factors here, Andrew, that lead me to believe it broke resistance all right it did it 
really convincingly with authority and it probably should have a pullback but it hasn't pulled back yet that's one thing that makes me a little nervous the stocks haven't confirmed yet but that's not unusual either there's just so many reasons for it to go up fundamentally and i try not even to look at the fundamental situation because that doesn't really tell you timing wise what's going to happen it just tells you it's poised that sideways channel, breaking the 200-day moving average, Golden Cross, all of these technical things, to me, point higher. Then again, it might just take a breather and start up shortly. I think we could be seeing patterns be, being broken by it. So that's my feeling on gold. And silver will follow suit shortly. So as far as Bitcoin goes, look, cryptos, the technology is amazing. I think that Crypto 1.0, which is Bitcoin, is uh, very susceptible to manipulation. We know this for a fact, especially now that there's a futures market for it. Um, it's these hordes, I've met them at Bitcoin conferences, who would just jump into a crypto in, at 10 p.m. and just buy everything they could and then dump it really quick before the price goes down. I mean, I've seen this. And... And then the other thing is that wallets are insecure. It just seems to me not enough nodes to really make it secure. Most of the nodes are in the People's Republic of China, so they could be shut down. It just seems to me that the technology, insofar as security and as far as the ability to sustain a cohesive attack from multiple sources, uh, just is not there. And that's what makes me a bit wary of its future. That doesn't mean that uh, it can't go higher, that it won't go higher. It, what it means is at some point, somebody's going to stand to make so much from it to take it down and to, to close off all 7,000 nodes for a couple of days is probably not that big a technical issue to certain parties, right? So I see it as being very vulnerable, but that doesn't mean that it's going to happen or when it's going to happen, but there is there is a way to do it. So anyways, that's, uh, that's my fear for uh, Bitcoin and cryptos. And the other thing is it's gone parabolic again. When something goes parabolic, generally it comes back down to earth, crashes down to earth as fast as it went up. And uh, this seems to be the norm with Bitcoin, multiple uh, parabolic rises and crashes. So you don't want to be on the wrong side of this trade because it could crush you it's it's an interesting instrument uh it is not the same as gold um gold no. has stood the test of time it's something that uh i see huge differences between them um certainly bitcoin the security concerns are a big question mark and then also i have people talk about well there can't be any more bitcoins issued yeah, well, I think that's the biggest problem that you have, Kerry, is there is no instrument of, of this type that has not been dilutive in history. And I don't care whether you want to talk about a currency unit like dollars, if you want to say that Bitcoin is not a currency unit, that's fine. But even gold, because you can mine gold, uh, that, mm -hmm. is, that is to some degree dilutive because gold production uh, yeah. can be dilutive. And obviously, we've mm -hmm. seen that. Uh, for someone to say, well, Bitcoin can't be, there can be no further Bitcoins issued. It's an electronic instrument. It's on a security, it's listed, it's on, you, like you said, it has futures. 
I just don't buy into it. Um, I just I, I see that there's just way too many things that can go wrong. But nonetheless, can it be a fantastic speculation? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But uh, it's not where I'm going to put the uh, the rent money, so to speak. Uh, I totally agree with you. I made some money on it, and uh, I should have made more, but I didn't have the foresight to see where it was going to go. But caution is the byword when you're in these uh, in this kind of environment. We might very well look back in another couple of years and just say, yeah, well, they had it. We missed it and sorry, but I don't think you're going to miss out to if your choice is gold or cryptos and you go one way or not the other, I don't think you're going to be that upset later on down the road. You know, maybe you won't get 10,000% returns, but you will definitely do well. That's right. Yeah. There's a lot more certainty placed on the gold side of that argument. Now, I want to ask you about energy. We've seen a lot of hardline positions recently with regards to how we build out energy infrastructure in the U.S. and battle this sensitive trend of climate change, or mm -hmm. as others say, really just global warming rebranded. What is your high-level view of energy and the various sources that we try to get energy from? Yeah, well, hey, it would be wonderful if you could just put a solar cell on top of, open up your window, stick a solar cell out there, and run your whole house on solar electricity. You know, uh, it's it's very delusional the way people perceive solar now and so-called renewables because they're all lumped together. Every country lumps them together, and then when you take a closer look, you see that, like for instance, in Canada, has the highest level of renewable energy uh, per, as a percentage, I think, in the world, 68%. But when you break it down, 60% of that is hydroelect hydroelectric dams, hydroelectricity. So only 8% of it is wind and solar. And there's wind, evidently, when you put these things out in the middle of the ocean, it really affects fish, mammals, everything else. It sounds like an ecological disaster in the making. And I just don't uh, see wind as a way to go. I think solar cells will keep getting better and better. And then the ability to store the energy from solar, electric, and from renewables. So, you know, the sun's only out during the day, but if it's a really sunny day and you can store all this electric and then use it as a battery at night effectively, you know, it's kind of similar in certain states. They have this where they'll have a, artificial lake and they'll have a dam at the end of the lake and the water when they need it right away when they need electricity they let the water go through the dam it generates hydroelectricity and feeds you know helps uh, supply demand there's one of those in Connecticut and then at nighttime when electric rates are low and demand is low they pump the water back up and rinse and repeat so that is like a great thing and that's kind of what solar is if you can harness it in a battery but right now that's really costly but i do believe that will be coming down in price look electric cars are nice but tesla's been around over 10 years they sold 80 plus million cars last year and only 2 million of them were pure electric most of them in china uh, Tesla sold a couple hundred thousand. They think they'll sell 400,000 cars this year. Uh, you know, come on. It's just like, get real. It's just 
not going to happen like this. I'm sorry to right. say. Uh, we got a long ways to go before we get uh, we get there. We've got decades, decades among decades of challenges to ever consider getting 100% on renewable. And I know that's a real hot topic right now. But the challenges from a cost standpoint, from a baseload power standpoint, and replacement costs. So the total replacement cost of renewable uh, as these things, parts and pieces wear out and come due over really a short duration. We know the batteries oh, yeah. don't last that long. The solar panels are, are questionable. And then, of course, the intermittency of these uh, renewable sources are also questionable. So it's really going to be a challenge uh, to get there. And so it's certainly not something that's going to happen overnight and it's going to take a long time. The electric vehicle part, I think that works when you can ram electric vehicles down the throat of the consumer. But when the consumer is spent and they've spent all their money, the credit cycle is getting late stage. I don't see that the EVs are going to be forced uh, fed to the consumer that quickly which of course if you can't keep up the production if you're an automaker that starts to become challenging on your financials and we all know the rest of the story so uh, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out during this period when you have the capital markets are in a late stage and the consumer credit cycle is also arguably in a late stage uh, now i want to talk one more question on energy sure carrie you're a florida man uh, what is your position? <laughs> Not one of those. <laughs> but, <yeah. laughs> what is your position on nuclear energy? And irrespective of that, do you like the supply-demand setup that is occurring on the fuel side with uranium mining? You know, I'm pro-nuclear. I think the uh, the types of uh, nuclear power plants that are available now are pretty much uh, foolproof. I just don't see. Uh, big risk for them. And um, the price of uranium has been low for so long, it's got to come up or we're not going to have any new uranium supply in the world. Uh, when they're even cutting back in Kazakhstan, the world's lowest cost uranium producing country in the world, hey, then you, you got a problem. So I think in the future, yeah, uranium, I just don't see solar and so-called renewables really uh, displacing nuclear and certainly not around the world maybe you can make a short-term argument for the u.s that there could be some challenges there but around the world i think people like uh, russia china india have agreed and the french have agreed that uh, this is a key part and the fascinating thing about nuclear is just the whole public perception about it and then also how standalone it is with the amount of power that that technology can produce. It is absolutely standalone and one of the most fascinating uh, scientific engineering feats of, of really of mankind ever. And so it's really impressive the men and women in that industry that have uh, been part of that industry and the scientists early on that have brought that out. It is truly fascinating, a scary, but yet totally incredible power source uh, when you talk about commercial oh, nuclear. Yeah. So it's really, really impressive. And so it'll be interesting to see how the uh, sector continues and the industry develops out and the technology comes uh, out and small modular reactors and so forth. And I think that it, it has a part to play if we're going to enjoy what we enjoy, modern nations and emerging nations, and if we're going to get off of fossil fuels, this has to be 
part of the solution because nothing can match it. And until the yes. day comes when we kick out nuclear because there's some new fascinating, amazing technology that can truly replace it on an equal basis, it's going to be around. And uh, I think other countries mm. tend to disagree with the United States, Russia, China, namely, and India. Yeah. Uh, we're going to build these things out because it is the only solution for our issues. And uh, of course, that has some other challenges to it as well. Russia and China mm -hmm. are big exporters of nuclear power. And as a result, Russia and China influence around the world is stepping up because they're walking to the neighbors next door and saying, we're here to offer you nuclear power. And so it's really has a lot of parts and pieces that uh, should not be ignored. Yeah, totally agree. And the whole Fukushima, Three Mile Island, Chernobyl fears, I really feel at this point aren't really relevant. The technology is advanced to the point where there's virtually no risk. Yes. And I would say, too, you know, when we have a Boeing 737 MAX have a technical software glitch and uh, 200 people die, that is not that is not very good news to hear. And it's very sad. Now, mm. when people talk about to compare that back over, when people talk about Fukushima, everybody thinks about this nuclear power plant that melted down when, in fact, it was an earthquake and it was a tsunami that wiped out tens of thousands of people. That's what is forgotten. And so that is just, it's mm -hmm. just, it's just crazy, Carrie. When they talk yes. about Fukushima, it's, it's all about this nuclear power plant. But wait a minute, wasn't there a wave that knocked out tens of thousands? Yeah. So it's, it's really, really interesting, the perceptions and how people zero in on what was not the major issue that caused the absolute destruction of that area. It was, in fact, a wave. And uh, so anyway, it's just really interesting how that comes out uh, today and how people perceive it uh, compared to back when it actually happened versus today. Um, so, Kerry, we're wrapping up here. I want to ask you uh, any final thoughts. And for our audience, is there a good way for them to follow you and your work? Is there a, a good website oh, sure. or Twitter page? Yeah, the website is financialsurvivalnetwork.com. Twitter feeds at Carrie Lutz, Facebook page, we just post humorous stuff there, Financial Survival Network, and um, hey, just check it out. My past eight years worth of archives is up there, and I think you'll enjoy it. Okay, Carrie, any other parting thoughts? Hey, just to be prepared, have a plan, because even though the plan isn't going to work, you're going to be better off than uh, most of the world, which has not a clue or a plan. Well, Kerry, thanks for coming on, and we look forward to chatting again soon. And thank you.